Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. What's going on, everybody? Excited for this episode of the podcast. Sitting down with Mark Seidel to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs, talk about the World Juniors, and anything hockey that comes to mind. Mark Seidel is a deep fountain of knowledge when it comes to junior hockey, comes to the Maple Leafs, and comes to all facets of hockey. So this is a great chat. Hope you guys enjoy it. All right, let's kick her off. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. All right, so as I said off the jump, we are sitting down with Mark Seidel today to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the World Juniors that are going on right now. Mark, how is your day treating you so far? Good. It's been a good day. It's uh, been an exciting time in the hockey world lately, so it's, uh, we see what today brings. Every day's new adventure. <laughs> well, speaking of new adventures, breaking just today, it looks like Ilya Kovalchuk is going to have a new adventure with the rival of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Montreal Canadiens, signing him to the remainder of the year for 700k on a two-year two-way deal i'm wondering what you feel about this and will he bring anything or is he just completely over the hill now well i think they're taking a shot in the dark i mean they're not obviously having to pay him a lot you know la paid him out and, and that's where he got the vast majority of his money um you know they they're trying to create some secondary scoring i think and you know Lee kovalchuk certainly is a guy that can score um but, you know, his days are long behind him, and, and, you know, I think it's a worthy risk by Mark Bergevin at this point in time, but I, I don't see it panning out into anything that really makes a huge difference. Just, you know, Ilya, the game has gotten too fast for Ilya, and uh, unfortunately, you know, age catches up with all of us, and it's caught up with uh, Ilya Kovalchuk, and they'll finish out the year, I think, in Montreal, and, and you know, pick up a little bit of, a little bit of points, but uh, nothing major that's going to have an impact on too much, I don't think. Now, do you think this by Bergevin is a move made kind of knee-jerk, you have Brendan Gallagher now out indefinitely with a concussion. You obviously know that the Paul Byron's out and other players on that squad are injured. So I'm wondering if this is a desperation-type move. You know you know he's out there, somebody you can grab quickly. Or is this, uh, like you said, just adding a piece? To me, it kind of speaks to, you know, they need to do something to kind of stop the bleeding on the injury front and give themselves some scoring. But uh, I'm just wondering if you think it's more knee-jerk than anything or he couldn't find a trade partner. Well, I think when you've got a guy with his pedigree of what he has been as a player, you know, when you can get him at the league minimum, I think there were, there were some teams that were interested. I'm, I'm surprised he went to Montreal. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, you know, I know his camp was looking to go to a place where he thought he could be a part of a, of a winning team. Now, not to say Montreal can't be that, but I thought it would end up being a higher-profile team. Um, you know, he's well-regarded in the league, so it's not an issue of, of bringing anybody that's a problem in the room. So from that standpoint, it's, it's a good get. But I think it's a case of the injury certainly are a big factor. There's no doubt about it. Getting him for 
and you know he, Mark doesn't really have a lot to lose here. I mean, if he doesn't pan out, you know, it's really not it didn't cost him anything for the most part. And you know, if he does pan out and catch the lightning in a bottle, then uh, you know he's added some scoring that they need. Well, for sure. Well, when we talked last, it was the beginning of December, and the the Atlantic Division looked completely different from what it does right now. We had the logjam that was Toronto, Montreal, Buffalo, you know, Tampa, Florida. It now seems like Toronto and Tampa are starting to separate themselves from the pack. And I remember saying back then, I thought the the bubble would burst on Buffalo and Montreal. And now that it appears to done that, I'm wondering, for your standpoint, is Toronto and, for the better part, Tampa for real now? Or is this their little run and then they'll come back to... Uh, to regress to the means as well. Well, I said the same uh, in the same conversation we had in early December. This was after the coaching change, and I said to you at that point in time that I thought this was a huge turning point. Uh, I told you, I think I told you that you know them getting blown out uh, in Pittsburgh was probably the turning point, and the best turning point for the Leafs that year because it allowed them to fire Babcock. And you know, I think they're going to continue to roll. I think you watch the way they're playing. Um, you know, this is the team that Kyle has built. This is and they're playing the style that Kyle has built it for. And Sheldon Keefe obviously has, has proven to be an unbelievable coach and done a great job with them. They're going to have some hiccups along the way. They, all teams do. They're certainly not going to win at the clip they've been winning at. But, you know, I fully expect that train to keep rolling. And I think Tampa, you know, anybody that talks about how that playoff loss didn't affect them and they should forget it, it was a summer ago, they know what they went through last year to get, you know, to win the league and then go in the first round. So, you know, it's human nature and it's just an athlete's nature to say, okay, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we do in a regular season as evidence last year. But once we get to the playoffs, we have to turn it on. So, you know, I think they're way too talented. They've got way too much skill. And I think John Cooper's a, a very, very good coach. So, you know, I think both those guys, both those teams are really trending upwards. And I think they'll continue to. You know, I think Buffalo will stabilize. I think they're better than, you know, how they've been of late. They're not as good as how they started the year. But I still like that team to a certain extent. I like Ralph Kruger. You know, and Montreal has to get through these injuries and, and see what they got. But, you know, those four teams, I think Montreal's kind of the fourth of those, in my opinion. Well, the problem, it seems, in Buffalo, to touch on them for a second as well, it seems a lot of players are now wanting out. You heard the Ristolainen rumors, and now the, uh, I believe it's the Diaz rumors. Um, and then, of course, they go and acquire uh, you know, Froelich from Calgary, a player that was unhappy with his situation there. Um, I'm wondering, for from your standpoint, when you look at the Buffalo Sabres, do they look like a team that is having internal issues? Um, we all know what happened with Berglund. Uh, there were other players like Ryan O'Reilly who said he lost his love of hockey playing there. Um, is there something to be said for what's happening in Buffalo, or is it just happenstance and this will, you know, course correct itself after a little while? I think it's a it's an odd situation. I'm not going to lie. I think it's the Pagulas or the owners that are doing an unbelievable job. They treat their, their players very very well. They treat everybody, the staff included, phenomenally. You know, I think Ralph Kruger is a very unique guy, an interesting coach. Um, you know, these, these a couple guys wanting out isn't that uncommon. It's uncommon that it's gotten out publicly. I think that's a bigger concern that they probably have because, you know, there's there's guys on every team that are looking to get out quietly. The agent talks to the general manager, you know, whether he's being underutilized or he can't get the lineup. So there's always those discussions. But the fact of getting out publicly, I think, is a concern. Obviously, it weakens the ability to trade those guys because, you, you know, you obviously can't get as much when everybody knows that they want out. So I think it's a unique situation. I don't think, I think Buffalo is a good market. I think, uh, the ownership, you know, the ownership had issues, and that might be some of it. But I think the ownership is stable, and I think Rangers is a good coach. So I think it's something where it'll correct itself. It's a little bit of an anomaly, but you know, it is something certainly that they would have to be concerned about. No, definitely. 
Well, to speak on the Toronto Maple Leafs a little bit further, obviously we are having our own little battle again with injuries. We have Muzzin out and other players like Ilya Mikheyev with the, the wrist, unfortunately, and Trevor Moore with the concussion. Uh, but we're getting to see the fruits of the draft and the fruits of the labor in the AHL market of what's been basically groomed and, and you know brought along properly with the Pierre Ingballs. Now you've had Adam Brooks come up in the lineup, Mason Marchment's in the lineup again, you know, Dmitry Timoshov, and now you see Elliot Friedman and Chris Johnson saying that, you know, Timoshov is on the market and, you know, they may be willing to move him or a Brooks-type player. Um, I'm wondering for your, for you, Mark, we, we watch this team, we see them develop, we see these players. What is so special about what the Leafs and the Marlies and even their ECHL out in Newfoundland, what have they created? What What is making this so good where players are you know, not only just developing, but they're actually coming and cracking the roster, whether it be for a game or two or sticking like Pierre Ingvall. Um, I'm wondering what you see and what you feel these guys are creating, what kind of atmosphere, because obviously there's something in the water if you're getting this many picks and this many players to your NHL squad. Well, I, I think there's a couple things. First of all, I think it's it's very, very ironic to me, um, you know, and, and having spoken with you before, I think you guys understand how big a fan I am of Sheldon Keith. Yep. This goes way back to when he was in Pembroke. I, I, you know, I tried to lobby for him to get an OHL job. Obviously, he got into the Sioux with Kyle and then into the National League. It's, for me, it's it's uh, it's ironic because um, he planted all these seeds with these guys. You know, everybody talks about the draft, and the draft's obviously important. You have to get good players. There's a lot of good players every year that are drafted, and the development piece is something the teams don't do a good enough job with. And you know, Kyle invested in that, and he invested in Sheldon in the American League. So uh, Sheldon spent a couple of years developing a lot of these players, teaching them the right way to play, teaching them how he wants to play. And he had to fit it into Mike Babcock's style. Um, but but eventually, at the end of the day, Kyle, uh, Sheldon is about skill development. That's what he's done down in the American League. And now, you know, lo and behold, he gets the, the Maple Leaf job. They get injuries. Now he can bring up those players that he's cultivated. And I think it's very important. The, the continuity has been really, really important for them. It's why, I think, you know, Coast League teams, American League teams, and NHL teams should all be sponsored. And most fans will say, well, they all do. And I can tell you, they all don't. You know, sometimes you've got the American League team playing a different style than the National League team plays, you know, simply because they're owned by, by another team or another owner. So uh, it's a weird situation. The Leafs have done a phenomenal job of really setting that up properly. And, and now you're seeing the results of it. And you're seeing guys that most fans haven't heard of. And listen, when the Leafs take a guy like Brooks later in the game, you know, so other teams have passed him, but so at least for four or five rounds. If, if they knew he was going to be this good, they would have taken him earlier. So it's it's not to discredit the scouting staff. They've gotten good players. But I really believe the development piece is something the Leafs have done the best job or one of the best jobs in, and now they're seeing the fruits from it. So I think it's it's very, very important that uh, that continue. You know, they've brought in Greg Moore now to coach the Marlies, and I think you know, with the main objective of him being a guy who is going to uh, you know keep that system going so they can continue to feed the, the National League team. And, as for Timoshov, you're going to see guys that, you know, have come up with a big team and had some success. And, you know, now they've created some assets and some capital with those players. They're going to be able to turn them into something else. So, you know, I think it's the way it should be done. And, again, fans would think, well, all 31 teams do it that way. And they just don't do it that way. It's not it, – it, it's a bit of an anomaly, and Toronto certainly mastered it. Well, I mean, you are correct. There's 31 teams, and fans do think that they all work in concert, they all work well, and they all develop properly, and some players just fizzle out. But if you look just to Edmonton alone, and we'll use them as an example, and I don't mean to use them as, you know, everybody's, you know, 
poll that they say, well, this is a bad organization or this is an organization that doesn't do rah, rah, rah. But with development on that team, you know, you wonder, you don't have a cap on what you can spend on your coaching staff, on development, on, you know, making sure that you have the best tools in your toolbox to get your players to where they need to be. And for whatever reason, and again, I'll go back to Edmonton, you don't see that being utilized in certain markets. And it hurts, you know, it hurts players' developments. And, you know, not having the top-notch medical staff, and Toronto can even speak to that, you know, not so far back in the future, our medical staff wasn't top-notch, but now it is. And you look at guys like Tyler Ennis last year who came in in the summer and came in early to work with the medical staff to get himself back on track. Same with Jason Spezza. He got here early to work with the veterans and to, you know, to acclimate himself with the team and the doctors and everything that goes on with the squad. So I'm wondering, Mark, why don't teams spend more money? I know some smaller market teams may not have the money to do so, but there are teams that have the money to go out and add to these staffs and add to, you know, making their organization better top to bottom. Why do you think teams don't do that, especially when you're saying right now, you know, with the way the Maple Leafs have it set up, it's in concert. It's almost like the Patriots in the NFL. You know, it's the next up mentality that they're building. You always have somebody there. I'm just wondering why other teams wouldn't want to mimic that. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, and you hit the nail on the head with the money aspect. I mean, the Leafs are the richest franchise in the league. And, you know, Kyle and Lou and, and Brandon, even when Lou was here, they decided to use a lot of those resources on things. You know, they were you know, the forefront of analytics. And they, their staff and analytics is a massive staff. So they've invested there. You know, the sports science component of it, the, the trainers, the equipment, the skill development people, you know, the skating coaches. I mean, they, so they have the resources to be able to go and do that. Now, you know, as you said, there's some teams that can't, don't have those resources, so that hurts them. But there's other teams that do that just don't do properly. And I think stability is a big factor. You know, I think that when you look at Edmonton with all the turnover they've had in the last four or five years, it's hard to have any stability. You know, you bring a guy in and, and a lot of them are good hockey people, but they bring in their system on what they, how they want to do it. And 16 months later, he's gone. And now the new person has to come in. Well, you've still got a whole staff below him that, you know, they're on three-year deals, so they're going to be capped. So now they've got to try to fit the round peg in a square hole. So stability is a huge thing, I think, when Brendan Shanahan came in and then obviously brought Kyle in. And um, even with Lou, Lou leaving, it, they, the continuity kept on. I mean, it was, you know, Kyle was running the Marley, so there was no change to that. And So I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, teams, they spend every day trying to get better. All 31 teams do. Um, but it's just there, there's not some of the people out there at least have, have kind of built the market on some of these people. There's a lot of good people around the league, but I just think from a from a top to bottom standpoint in organization, uh, you know, Tampa does a great job. They're, they're a phenomenal job developing players. So there are a lot of there are teams that do a great job of bringing guys up and, and cultivating and developing them. But as you said, there's some that just drop the ball, and, and it really hurts their long term success. No, definitely. Well, one coach you can turn to for the Maple Leafs that has had huge success, and, and they work with Tampa as well as Barb Underhill. You can look at the guys who've come along in skating. You look at a Brooks or a Timoshov or even Freddie the Goat. You know, the knock on him was his skating for the longest while. And now, I wouldn't say he can fly, but I mean, he's got goat power for sure. I mean, the guy skating is leaps and bounds from where it was. And she's also corrected uh, John Tavares' skating, from what I heard. His uh, back was starting to bother him the way he was skating, so she fixed his stride and the way he does his uh, skating now. So those things right there, it, it may seem trivial or minute to the average fan, but those are huge things, especially when you have a guy like John Tavares where you've signed him to big money. 
you want him to be able to play through that contract. So, again, yeah, I, I couldn't understand why a team wouldn't want to make sure they have all the best things. And I know, like I said, some teams don't have the money, but it, it baffles my mind, especially in a market. I know they had a lot of turnover, like you pointed out, but Edmonton definitely needs to, hopefully under Peter um, Holland, to get everything on track. Ken Holland, not Peter Holland. Oh, jeez. Um, to get on track and get things rolling because I believe with Connor McDavid, the clock is ticking and he may not be an Edmonton Oiler come you know, the end of next season. I'm wondering what your feeling is with Connor McDavid, the, the frustration, the dejection on his face, the, the wanting to make the playoffs. And it's got to be hard, especially when you're dubbed the, you know, the next one. Yeah, I just want to touch back just on the Barb Underhill thing. I agree with you. Know, the issue is there's only one Barb Underhill, and I think she's one of the best, if not the best, skating instructor. You know, just as for Leaf fans, I mean, to see Mason Marshman skate the Toronto Maple Leafs last night, um, you know, the work that he put in, and, and he deserves a ton of credit because he's put the hard work in, but Barb has worked with him tirelessly. And, you know, I, mean, I watched him in the Ontario Hockey League for a couple of years, and to think that he's playing in a national league the way he moved around the ice is incomprehensible. And so, you know, I think. There's only one Barb Underhill, and I think a lot of teams would love to hire her away, but you know, she's on a contract in Toronto. She's obviously a, a local girl and does a great job. So you know, I think that's a unique situation. As for McDavid, I think it's really interesting. I think Connor is one of the most competitive people there is, you know, certainly in the National Hockey League. Um, I think it's taken its toll on him. I think Ken Holland has gone in and been able to sit down with him, and Jeff Jacks uh, should never be forgotten in this process. Jeff is, is Connor's agent. Jeff played in the league, actually, former agent. Is very heavily involved in what goes on to make sure that you know Connor, his wishes are getting transferred up to Ken Holland. And I think they, for now, you know, they put their faith in Ken Holland. His track record certainly shows that he will bring some stability. But you know, certainly, I think Connor, from his competitive standpoint, is going to win. Whether he leaves at any point in time, I don't think it's imminent. I think it's a few years away. Uh, you know, I think you have to put your faith in Ken Holland. If this was another GM that was kind of a you know one year in and out kind of guy, then I think that. That would be a real serious factor. But, you know, I think Ken Holland has gone to them and said, this is how I want to do things. It's going to take time. We're not going to panic. We're not going to trade the phone to try to make the playoffs or make one run here. So, you know, I think Jeff and Connor uh, and certainly Leon will will sit back and watch the plan. And as long as it continues to progress towards something, I think they'll be patient. But, you know, if we get three years into the road, they've missed the playoffs twice and gone out in the first round of third year. You know, I think certainly at that point in time, Connor and and Jackson will then maybe go forward Maybe we're due for a change here, but I don't think that's by any stretch. No, I don't think it's on the forefront. But I, it's interesting to see, you know, whether you look on Twitter or Instagram or just any social media at all. You know, even Edmonton Oilers fans are wondering, you know, when Connor McDavid's going to hit the button of enough is enough. But I really do hope he sticks to Edmonton because if he goes, they have nothing. And whatever you get back in return is not going to be Connor McDavid esque. You can get all the pieces in the world, but it may not turn you around any more than you already are so here's hoping that Edmonton can get it into gear another team I'm wondering about from your perspective is the Arizona Coyotes did you see them being first did you see them going again Taylor Hall did you see this happening I know every year everybody seems to say Carolina and Arizona are going to be the darlings to finally make the dance well it looks like it's their year this year um, a little bit of injuries right now but wow I'm completely blown away by what they've done. And it's not even on the back of Phil Kessel's scoring. Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the Arizona Coyotes there, Mark. Well, I, I uh, have to confess to you, I didn't see this season coming from them. I'll be perfectly honest with you. You know, I thought they're a team that 
they've always amassed a lot of talent. Uh, they haven't been able to put it together. I really think that the person deserves the most credit out there is Rick Tockett. I think, you know, you talk about Phil Castle and, and Phil and Rick Tockett are incredibly close. Um, so he's been able to bring Phil in. And, and like you say, even though Phil's not scoring in a clip that, you know, he traditionally scored at, he's still a part of that team and is in doing some valuable things. Uh, you know, I think Rick's been able to pull a, a lot of that talent together um, and have them perform now. You know, obviously, when you get goaltending like they've gotten in the first half here, it, it certainly makes it a lot easier on a nightly basis when you're you know, clipping along at a 9.30 save percentage. But, you know, you got the injury to Darcy Kemper. But, uh, you know, Rick Tomkin's done an unbelievable job real quietly. You know, certainly on the East Coast, we don't hear a lot about Arizona. Obviously, their games are late. and The media doesn't cover them as heavily as, obviously, East Coast teams do. You no, know, I didn't see the success coming, but they certainly have a lot of talent. Uh, you know, a lot of young people. And, uh, you know, with Rick being able to tie it all together, I think they've They've been a great story, and we'll see how they're in the second half. It's tough to continue, you know, hoping that your goalie's going to keep running at 930. Uh, as a save percentage, it's very difficult to do. But, you know, with the pieces they have, I think what they're set up for is long-term success here. Um, they're certainly, I don't think they're a Stanley Cup contender yet, um, but they've got enough pieces that down the road they're going to keep adding, and, and we'll get to that sooner rather than later. Well, one other team I want to ask you about before I get into the John Tortorella comments and the, the big issue that's being made of that right now. Um, is the New Jersey Devils. They went out in the summer. They got Wayne Simmons. They got Nikita Gusev. You know, they had Taylor Hall. They were trying to do everything in their power to keep him there, keep him happy, make this team succeed. They got Nico Heischer, Jack Hughes, the young guns there. But it all just went to naught. And it's goaltending for the most part that did them in. They should have went and got a goaltender, maybe instead of Wayne Simmons. But I'm wondering, again, Mark, from your side of things, now we talked about Arizona and the pleasant surprise. This is an unpleasant one where we thought this would be maybe a powerhouse contending in the East as long as the goaltending held up, and of course it didn't. But I'm wondering, what does New Jersey do now? And should they go into fire sale mode and strip it down knowing you have Heischer and Hughes and try to go after another great pick? Well, I think, yeah, they're going to have to do that to a certain extent. Now, how much of a fire sale can you handle? think they could give P.K. Subban away at this point in time with that contract and you know, the way his game has slowed um, pretty dramatically, you know, certainly in terms of being able to, uh, to skate the way he used to. And, you know, I think that that's kind of an anchor around their neck, that contract that they signed. And I think Nationals have to go from under. You know, Wayne Simmons is a guy who would have some value on a short-term basis. Now the word is he doesn't want to get out of the jersey. He's happy there. So, yep. you know, fire sale, is, it's, it's tough when you don't have a lot of pieces. I really think they're a victim of high expectations. You know, they had the good season a couple of years ago. You know, last year they have a, obviously a real downturn, but they win the lottery and huge. And you know, I think everybody came into this year expecting this is a team with you add some of those veterans you mentioned, and then the same group for the most part that was, was really good two years ago. And it just fell apart early. And and you know, certainly the free agency talk with Taylor, I think, hung over that team and it hung over Taylor. Um, I, I think it was obvious from the beginning with Aaron Ferris being his agent that they weren't going to sign. You know, they're going to test the water dry first, and that's Darren's way of doing business, and, and it's been a really successful force doing that. So, you know, I think that hung over them. They obviously got out from underneath the overall. They've got a couple pieces that, you know, long term will be, you know, have a potential to be part of that team. But yeah, they're they're in a sad state, unfortunately. They've got some good young players, as you say, but but you're really caught in the middle when you got some contracts that are heavy burdens on you, and and to try to get rid of those contracts and those players, they're better just to ride it out at this point in time. Um, you know, and, and they'll get a high pick no matter what, just based on the way they've played. Their goaltending has been 
has been not great. Although I do like Mackenzie Blackwood. I think uh, he's a young goalie that's been put on his feet there a little bit. But yeah, I think their team just has to ride this out. Because, uh, you know, there's not a lot of quick relief. Every other every other GM league is in a hurry to help them out. They're obviously going to try to get what they can out of them for their own advantage. So I think they're going to have to ride it out and, and you know pick high and get a good player again this year and then start to build as, as those contracts expire. I'm wondering with P.K. Subban, it's been mentioned the fact that he does a lot of power lifting and it may be something he needs to stray away from, which is affecting his skating, his back, and all these injuries. Obviously, with power lifting, does come injuries. Um, I'm wondering if a certain team that is blue and white and has a great you know, skating coach may be able to make a pitch of a Cody CC swap out for P.K. Subban where the salaries are similar because of the retain, retention from Nashville. Um, I'm wondering if that would interest you at all, Mark, or are you uh, happy to see P.K. Subban not in a Maple Leafs uniform? Listen, what P.K. Subban's done off the ice in Montreal and in Nashville and now in New Jersey is incredible. Uh, unfortunately, P.K. sometimes gets a little bit too far away from the rink and a little less involved at the rink. Um, you know, you see him on social media do a lot of things. And I think that's been fine when he's been playing at, at an elite level, which he did in Montreal and early on at Nashville. His age has caught up with him. Um, you know, he's a guy who is a distraction. There's no doubt about it in the room. He was a distraction in Montreal and Nashville. Um, so I just think he's a guy. And, and with the way the Leafs play right now, I don't see any fit there at all. I can't imagine in a million years that Kyle Dubas would have any interest in trying to work something in that regard. Um, phenomenal human being. Um, as I said, done lots, but they, you know, his age, just like uh, we talked about Kovalchuk earlier, the age is catching up with him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the powerlifting and all, I'm not sure. I, I hadn't heard that uh, before, but I think, you know, it's just a matter of, of he's not as quick as he used to be. And, uh, you know, I just can't see a fit with the Leafs at all. Yeah, well, the powerlifting thing I got was from uh, 31 Thoughts from uh, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick. They were talking about it. Then it was elaborated a little bit more on the, uh, the STP podcast. But it's just... He does a lot of powerlifting, I guess, and that affects his back. And if you look at him skating, it almost looks like he's a little bit more rigid, uh, where it might be something in your back that's bothering you. If you look at Jake Gardner from last year at the tail end with the Maple Leafs, kind of the same kind of almost frozen posture and not able to get the stride that he usually has. Um, so that's why a lot of people are saying the correlation between the two may be there and someone may be able to fix his skating if he were willing to listen and you know basically do it the way like I said with John Tavares, where he had to change his stride, and now he's back to being the player that he can be. Uh, <clears throat> for me, if it comes at the right price, and you could figure out something that works well, I wouldn't mind seeing PK there, but I agree with you in some regards of the distractions and things like that. That may not be something we need, and he is a big personality, um, but there's no denying what he does off the ice. He's an absolute beaut of a human being, does everything for everyone, goes above and beyond all the time. So, yeah, I agree in that regard. And it would be unfortunate because I, I, I would love to see that slap shot from the point, you know, in a Maple Leaf uniform. Yeah, as far as the, the, the uh, heavy training, you know, I obviously have any chance reporting that. And, you know, I, I, they're two of the best in business. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't qualm with that. I just think at the end of the day, you know, PK brings in some of the best chance to work with. Um, you know, maybe it's not the right best performer for him, but uh, I think uh, everybody always wants to overlook age. Unfortunately, it catches up with everybody, no matter how good you are. And I think that's what's happened a little bit with PK. So, you know, whether he changes his training regimen or not, I think you know that's something certainly to debated, and, and maybe there's something to it. But at the end of the day, every day that passes, he's older than he was the day before. So, I think it's a tough fit for anybody. No, true enough. 
Well, the uh, other thing I alluded to just a couple of moments ago was the situation with John Tortorella and the criticizing of the referees and obviously the war room in Toronto um, getting fined $20,000 for his comments um, and then also being hit with the fact, basically almost, if you do it again, you're going to get another $25,000 fine. You have one year, basically grace period, keep your mouth closed, don't say anything. And I'm wondering, Mark, in a league that wants to grow the game, in a league that wants people to have personality and to come out and talk, um, to muzzle a guy who comes out after a, a bad situation, your goalie gets hurt, you have the issue with the refs, and you put him in front of a microphone and you expect him not to be angry or to vent his frustrations. I understand there is a line for professionalism and, you know, John Tortorella through his career has, you know, overstepped that line more than a few times. But in this situation, if you have a guy that's that heated, why do you put him in front of a microphone? And two, if you want guys to have personality and to be more outspoken, uh, why muzzle them? You know, maybe a simple, hey, you can't say this or you can't go that far. But to publicly put it out there and say twenty thousand dollars, you you know basically you're an embarrassment to the league. It, you read between the lines of what they said. They worded it more nice than that, and then saying you know what if you do it again, look here's twenty five thousand dollars looming over your head. So think about what you're going to do. I'm wondering for you, how does this situation sit with you, and what do you think of it all? Well, listen, I love John Tortorella. I think I love him certainly for his outspokenness and his ability to tell the truth, which I think is is you know rare these days in major pro sports his passion his energy i think mostly just the way he treats people and the way he treats people around him i know a number of people that are guys that have played for him staff that have worked with him and, and they all really about him as a human being so i mean for me that's the most important thing you know leagues are very sensitive when you start to question their, their officiating you can look at any of the four major leagues they get very very sensitive about that at the end of the day, if, if a mistake is made, and you know they've come out, the league has come out and said that you know there wasn't really a mistake made. They looked at things, they did things in the proper, proper way. Things going to be very reactive to that, very come down very hard on that kind of stuff. But you know, John Tortorella is a passionate, emotional guy. We've seen it over the years. Certainly, his exchanges at times. Should he have more patience? Sure. But as a fan, you know, would we be talking about this now? Fans enjoyed that. They like to hear from people be honest and, instead of getting. You know, you know, the standard answer that most coaches give, you know, it's a bad break, we'll move on, we're playing next week, or we're playing you know, two nights from now. So I think in that regard, you know, I don't like it, but I understand the league standpoint. If they, if they open the door to criticism of their officials, it's going to continue to get wider and wider, and, you know, John has a history of doing this. So I'll be honest with you, I thought 20,000 line was pretty weak, and, you know, just what I thought they would give him, what I thought he deserved, but I just thought they would give him more than that. I think in some ways it's the league saying, listen, here's your fine. We have to defend our officials publicly. Um, but don't do it again. John. We, we have enough headaches in this league. We don't need to worry about our officials being ripped every night by you. So yeah, I happen to like the guy. I happen to like his passion. Motion. He's entertaining and obviously doesn't have a job at the moment. So, you know, I think it's John's way. And if anybody thinks John's going to change, he'll never change. He's going to continue to do this. And next time it'll be 25 and a timeout will be 30 or 35 or 40. But, you know, he's going to do what, what he does and, uh, well, I think it's good for a game to have a guy who is honest and, you know, to come out and speak his mind. Also, I think it's good for the Columbus Blue Jackets with all the turmoil and things that have gone on in that market. For him to go out there and stand up for his guys and stand up for his team, it really shows that he's with them and supports them. So it's always good to have the knowing that your coach has your back. I just think it's, you know, 
I, I watch a lot of UFC and fights and things like that, and I listen to what Joe Rogan says about, you know, interviewing guys after they've been knocked out. He absolutely hates doing it and shies away from doing it a lot. I think the same thing can be said about talking to guys after a heated situation like that at the end of a game. I don't think you should stick the microphone in front of the guy's face. I know there's media obligations, but maybe have somebody else come out um, instead of putting him out there because you know someone's going to ask about it or he's already heated like he was and he's going to fly into it. Do you think there should be different protocol for stuff like that when you know that you're not going to get a, a PC answer out of a guy, especially John Tortorella, maybe have someone come out to the podium instead of him? Because you could tell he, A, didn't want to be there, and B, once he got on the, the tangent of what he's going to talk about, he wasn't giving it up. Yeah, I can see the point, but I think it's a slippery slope. You know, what point does a coach say, I don't want to go out, you know, and does John Tortorella do that for two months straight? Uh, just because he despises talking to the media so much. I mean, you look back at the Larry Brooks feud he had in, or in New York and, yeah. and things like that. But, well, your point is, here. I think in those kind of situations, the coach should be able to, you know, we've seen players are able to do that at times. Or something happens. So I think that, you know, there's certainly some validity to that. But, you know, I think what happens then is when you open that door again, you know, then the coaches go, we should go talk to the media because they say, you know, I don't want to say something to get myself in trouble. And you think access to coaches and, and players is an important part of the National Hockey League. I think fans like me. And again, as a, as a, if you're a media guy, I mean, you love that stuff from John Fulmerell. That sells newspapers and gives guys lots of talk with on talk radio. So, you know, I think from that standpoint, the media likes it. But your point is pretty valid. I, I think they're the odd time in a unique situation like that, you know, they should have the ability to say, you know what, he's just not going to address the board tonight. Yeah, we'll move forward and maybe you'll discuss it at the next point in time or whatever. But yeah. No, I, I agree with your points as too. It definitely can be a slip, slippery slope, and guys can uh, you know use it to our advantage to get out of the uh, the obligations. But enough of the the negative stuff. Let's talk about some Team Canada. We talked about it before everything started. Now we are absolutely in the thick of it. Very excited that Canada is facing Finland. Um, first, we'll go through the tournament just a little bit. Uh, we come out guns a blazing. We beat the uh, the U.S. in a thriller. We then lose to Russia, get drubbed, um, and then we go back and win two more. Wondering what your thoughts are on the tournament as a whole. I thought after losing to Russia, we may be a little shaky, but it looked like it was almost a rallying cry for this squad, and we picked up our boots and kept her rolling. What are your thoughts, and uh, what are your thoughts on that guy who started the first game for Canada? Somebody that I thought I predicted would go in the first to the net. <laughs> Well, you were 100% right, and you know, I was 100% wrong. You did predict that Nico Dawes would be the starter, and I thought it would be uh, Olivia Rodrigue. Obviously, uh, uh, I wasn't by a long way. Um, you know, I think it's been a good tournament for the most part. I think it's certainly been exciting. Um, you know, I think that the one caution I would I would have for Canadian fans and, and Canadian myself is, you know, after the Russian game, certainly they got, they got clubbed pretty good. You know, they've come back and, and laid the boots to a couple teams that, you know, aren't great teams, quite frankly. Slovakia wasn't good. Checks were ravaged by injuries. And, you know, so I think in that regard, it's been, uh, it's been a tough, you know, it's, it's been good for Canada to get some confidence going. I think, you know, I read online a little bit and people are, you know, Canada's going to route this thing in the next two games. I think we have to put caution. Finland certainly hasn't had near the talent Canada has, but they play incredibly hard. They're structured as a team in that league defensively. I think that's a tough, tough game. And, you know, I think they'll get through it. Then you're going to get into the final against or Russia with the uh, Swedes, who you know both teams obviously are pretty, pretty proficient in their own right. So you know, I think it's not going to be an easy path. But 
Uh, generally, it's been a good tournament. It's been a great tournament from a, a draft standpoint in terms of watching draft eligible. I think you know it's it's a unique situation where a guy like me and, and you know, people that do what I do, uh, the World Juniors usually has a bunch of lower level draft prospects from some of the smaller countries and a couple high profile guys. And this year, you know, obviously we've seen them all. Uh, there's been a whole bunch of guys that have played for almost every team that uh, have been really interesting from a draft standpoint. So it's been a great term in that regard, and we'll see how it goes for the next couple of days. You know, hopefully Canada can pull it out, but uh, it certainly won't be an easy road. Well, one guy that I was very high on coming into this tournament, just because of the hype surrounding him, and obviously it looked like it would be a Lafreniere Byfield, you know, matchup, was Quinton Byfield, and it doesn't seem like he, you know, gripping the stick too tight. I don't know what cliche you want to throw at him, but I think he's still sitting at zero points for the tournament, if I'm not wrong. And, you know, it doesn't seem to have the offensive prowess that he has with his junior club. I'm wondering what your report is on Quinton Byfield and what might be going through the young man's mind. Well, I, I agree with you a lot on that. Uh, you know, certainly he's a guy that, you know, from, from our standpoint, him and Lafreniere went to him in the gap. Um, I think you see what happens where players are used. You know, I think certainly Lafreniere has been focused on and, and been a main focus offensively, um, where Quinton has been kind of a fourth-line guy. I know people forget. Uh, you know, he started the tournament in some of the exhibition games as a second-line winger. So, you know, a lot of his advocates are saying, well, it's, it's tough to do anything in the fourth line. I mean, he was given some chances in the second line. And, you know, obviously he hasn't done a great job. I, you know, it's funny you say that squeeze and stick because I've said that to a few people in the last couple of days. I mean, he doesn't look like the same player. I think it's it's very difficult to play every six minutes a night, eight minutes a night, when you're used to playing 22, 23 minutes. You know, you're used to being an offensive guy that creates now you're a guy that's you know going out there trying to you know, chip it in deep and, and be good defensively. So I think his use has been something that's hurt him. But you know what? Look a year ago, Lafreniere was in the exact same boat with that team last year. You know, highly touted guy. Everybody talked about, and everybody said, "Well, they should use him." Um, that year is huge. Lafreniere having gone through the experience, I think, has, has propelled him into the, the tournament he's having this year. I think Byfield is learning from it. Um, but I, but I would be lying to you if I said that. He's played really well. I think he, some of his offensive reads have been poor. Uh, I think he's really, really pressing. He's a very cerebral, smart kid. You know, and I think he's really pressing about the fact that, you know, when he's waking up and other draft guys, Tim Stilson for Germany, has been unbelievable. You know, so there's been some other draft guys that have played a lot better in this tournament. Now, what does it mean when we get to the draft in June? It means something, but it doesn't mean everything. This is an evaluation tool just like, you know, a lot of things over the past two years have been evaluation tools of both those teams. But, um, you know, it certainly will have an impact, and the guys will look and, and say, Lafreniere is clearly the best player now, and I don't think there's any doubt about that. Sitting here today, Lafreniere is a much better player than Britain Bicep, as I, I think I've told you guys in the past and other people. It's about projecting four or five years down the road. So, you know, you go on Twitter, I'm sure, and people will rip and say, I feel he's in the top ten, just the way he's played, and all the stupidity, but... But the fact is, it's still Byfield and, and uh, Frenny one two, um, and I think you know we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. But it's it's a humbling experience for sure. And I think Quinton will learn from it. But uh, you know, it'd be different if he was playing really well. I, I just don't think he's played great either. Well, it's something to be said too. Like you said, Lafreniere was there last year, and again here this year. But also for players who, I guess, are getting thrust into these, you know, big pressure cooker moments. It also shows what they have under pressure and what they can do to perform and, you know, where they need to grow. So as much as he hasn't scored, as much as he hasn't gotten on the board and, you know, is gripping the stick, you know, 
you can use this as a tool as a player, and I hope that he does, to grow his game and to become a better player all around because now he'll see and he'll go back and look at the tapes. Okay, this is what I do. And like you're talking about the reads, you know, this is what I need to do here. This is what I can do there and, and grow as a player, right? Because if you're flying around and, do, and doing everything perfectly and, you know, the world is singing your praises, sometimes it's hard to, to find things to work on or to nitpick. And, you know, this may give him an opportunity to grow even further as a better player. Yeah, and I think you know it's 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 a very finicky when you when you equate it down into this small term. In the, in the opening game against the Americans, he had a great chance that the goalie made a good save on that. Yesterday, I mean, he ran one off the post from the slot. You know, both those pucks go in. Guys are saying, oh, he, you know, he's having a decent term. He's got a couple goals. You know, he's on the fourth line role. So it's tough when you know people who don't scout for a living what they do is they look at this term and think it's the end all be all. Yeah, it's really just a matter of four or five games, and and certainly it's important. You know, anybody wants. To play the importance is, is probably wrong to a certain extent it is an important tournament but you have to understand that this is a two-year process and I think Quentin is a smart guy he certainly you know he'll learn from this like you said in, in terms of being able to get better but it's the same thing and we'll go through it every year of, of young guys that come in and just have to it's a 19-year-old tournament I'm sure anybody says and you know the stuff that Lafreniere is doing is special so you know, generally it's 19-year-old and, and 17-year-olds are going to play a first year role even on the team so um, you know, I think from that regard, it'll, it'll be a learning experience for him, but we'll see how he bounces into the second half of the separate. Well, the next question I want to ask you before we get close to wrapping up here is who has been your player of the tournament for Canada who has stood out that you didn't, not that you didn't expect, because they're all good players, you made Team Canada, but a player that really has caught your eye? I think they're the obvious ones, um, but for me, the sort of lesser known is uh, the Addison kid. Um, you know, the kid on the back end has been unbelievable. He uh, his ability to skate the puck, certainly having watched him in his draft. You you watch him in the Western League and he can do that stuff, but you know, he's playing against the uh, best players in the world here and, and his ability to find guys, make an outlet pass, being able to set up on the power play at points, make plays. I think he's proven to be a really, really good player. I think he's a guy as you went into it. I'll be honest, I thought he was on the bubble of making the team. And then he realized that certainly, you know, the way he's played, obviously he must have played at camp that way as well. You know, I think he's become a big part of it, and Jonas has got a really bright future. And I think he's a guy that has really sort of moved into the forefront. And you know, again, he'll have to be good the next two games. But you know, if you're looking for a guy that doesn't get a lot of publicity, he's really well. I think it's him. <laughs> it's funny because that's the exact player that I was going to pick, but you stole him from me. So anyway, that's that's a great read. I love the kid. I think he's great with moving the puck, like you said. Um, you know, he makes smart puck decisions. He's always looking ahead of the play. It seems so. Yeah, I really like what this kid brings. For me, I hope that this tournament turns out for gold for Canada. I have to ask, put your prediction hat on, do we get by Finland, and do we capture gold this year? Well, uh, I think we get by Finland. I, I really do. I just think that the talent difference between those two teams is, is pretty severe. I think Dale Hunter is an unbelievable coach. And so I think we get by Finland. Uh, it won't shock me if the gold medal team is probably going to end up being against the Swedes. Uh, and I could see an OT game. I mean, obviously, we're, we're guessing here and forecasting, but you know, two pretty evenly matched teams. They've got some, obviously, high, high-end players. The Leaf fans will have Sandine they can watch. Um, so I think in that regard, it's uh, it's going to be close. I think Canada will win at the end of the day. Joel Hoffer has to be good. Um, you know, But I think at the end of the day, uh, the, the scary part for me is that they face Russia and, and Askarov's on that again, which he will be. Um, he can steal a game. He's done it in a, a few international tournaments here over the last few years. And he's a guy that scares me. When you know when tournaments started, 
obviously he's great and got lit up a little bit. And, uh, uh, you know, everybody's worried uh, the fact that, you know, is he going to be able to do it? And he's gotten the net back again for them. And, again, it's still a top five NHL pick for, for me and for our agency. So the other guy I quickly want to touch on is Nico Dawes. And, you know, certainly give you credit. You know, as we talked in early December, you, you thought he would be the starter and he was the starter. Um, again, in such a fine tournament in such a short period of time, he had, you know, he had two games where he wasn't fantastic. And, you know, everybody wants to say, wow, he was lucky in the first half and, well, you know, he's coming back to earth. I mean, these are two games, huge pressure, and, and that's it. And, you know, unfortunately, a couple pucks got by and I think he'd like that. But you can't downplay what this kid's done as well this year, uh, certainly the, the way he's carried that team. And, you know, Mark, Dale Hunter and Mark Hunter's job is to go with the guy that they think at that point is playing better. Obviously, they think Nico Dawes is the best boy of those three, and that's why they started yep. to go in the tournament. Um, Hoffer's done a great job since he's been in, and, and he'll keep the net at you know, for the rest of the term because of it. But people shouldn't be down on Nico Dawes. Nope. The fact that you know, in two games he gave up a couple of bad goals. I mean, it's uh, it's such a, a heavy tournament, such a short period of time that those things can happen to people, and you know they'll bounce back very well in the second half as well. So wherever he ends up getting traded. Oh, for sure. And the, the other thing about this tournament, just before I let you go, Mark, is this is a tournament where a bunch of guys come from a bunch of different teams, and like we've touched on all are pretty much prominent players on the squads they play with. And now they're asked to play different roles, different lineups, you know, PK, whatever it is. And same thing with goaltenders. You're getting used to different defensive reads, different breakouts, things happening in front of you that you're not used to from your normal club team. So, you know, even the goaltenders have an adjustment period. And like you said, those two games, you let in a couple bad ones. You know, things are going to happen, but he is going to have a bounce back with his junior squad. And I personally think Team Canada will win gold and we'll have to thank Nico Dawes for beating the Americans in the first game. I like it. You stick with your guy. There's nothing wrong with that at all. No, there's no quitting me. <laughs> well, Mark, I want to say thank you very much yet again for jumping on. You're always so generous with your time. I know you got a busy one today, so I want to say thanks again and go Canada, go. Well, listen, I, I love being on the show with you. I think it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's stuff that I generally don't talk a lot about. Uh, so, you know, I always have time for you guys and that's certainly the, uh, the podcast. So anytime you need by all means, you can touch me. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Hope Canada can vote uh, out here over the next couple of days. <laughs> all right, Mark. You have yourself a good day, man. Thanks. You too.